This evening I'd like to talk about wise effort and responding to the uh, hindrances, what's sometimes called the hindrances that are around in meditation. I have a, a strong sense of hoping that everything's okay for you. you know, at the end of the uh, first day, I find myself wondering how things are for you. And um, I luckily, fortunately, met a quarter of you, so I've got some sense and look forward to meeting uh, the rest of you, you know, more uh, personally uh, over the next few days. And so I have a, a strong wish to really um, let you know, if you don't know already, or remind you that difficulties that come up in meditation are really, uh, firstly, absolutely normal. This is what we'd expect. This is what happens. And secondly, that they are workable. So in a sense, that's more important than anything else I'm going to say this evening. <laughs> the difficulties are normal and what we expect, part of the process of arriving on retreat, and they're workable. And the reason I want to emphasize those two points so much is because it really can feel like a struggle when we lose sight of those. So when we lose sight of the first one, it can feel like, oh, it's just me. There's me with my stuff my problems, my neurosis, my difficulties. And everything can feel very, very enclosed. And uh, there's, it may feel like there's no one to talk to about it. Um, and hopefully you know, but again, just to uh, reiterate, if you would like to speak to us one-to-one -one at any time, please just leave a, a note uh, on the notice board. Um, so again, just practically speaking, that's not, not quite the case practically, but sometimes it can feel like that. I'm here in this place, it's a bit strange, nobody's speaking, I don't know what to do, I can't turn on the TV, told me not to look at my phone. And we can feel in our own, um, what can feel like a contracted world in those, those times. That there are particular struggles that uh, are very unique to us and can be that feel. And then we can also lose a sense that they're workable. You can feel, well firstly we tend to project it for the next few days. So when we're really in this state of mind, the relief from this is going to come at the end of the retreat. We can find ourselves looking forward to that. So the particular experience of this moment, we can imagine that it will continue in an almost uh, unchanged, fairly continuous way from now to the end of the retreat. And that can add a lot of struggle to this too. It's not just that this moment is difficult, but I've got so many more days. So, struggles, difficulties are very much part of meditation practice for all of us. So if you've had those moments today where it feels like that, 
See how that lands. This is part of the territory of meditation practice. They're workable and also much more changeable than they may appear in the most difficult moments. It's so interesting that way we can think, ah, something's tough and it's going to remain like that. (laughs) I've had time that, sorry, it feels slightly humbling to share it with you, but (laughs) I find it quite funny, really. I've had times where I've noticed myself thinking, you know, what am I doing with my life? Where am I going? I've got all these things happening. Everything feels quite sort of heavy. And then I have a sleep and a cheese sandwich. And those thoughts disappear. <laughs> and it's just something like the whole state of mind is different. And what felt so, oh, I've got to work all this out and get a five-year plan and a ten-year plan. And, oh. It's really interesting, that, isn't it? You know how certain states of mind, they just feel so, that's how it is. And there's not even a cheese sandwich here. Okay. <laughs> but there we go. We can find other ways. So when we're working with these difficulties or challenges in meditation, and as I said, they're traditionally called hindrances, but we can even put that word in some, um, or reflect on that a little bit, because even that word can set up a particular notion of this. These are the things that are in my way. Um, So that's something we can um, begin to question. And I think of my own history of working with these in meditation or being with these in meditation. I think when I began, I perhaps took that word hindrance very literally. You know, these are things that are in my way. And when I think like that, so these are things. In other words, they're solid. They're in my way. Perhaps quite a lot of emphasis on the my. Um, And then it follows from that that I need to get rid of them as quickly as possible, as efficiently as possible. So that can be a sort of mindset. Call these things the hindrances. Okay, so that's the task of meditation. It's a set of techniques by which I can eradicate what what shouldn't be here. There's a whole kind of mindset around that. Um, And sometimes um, I had a degree of success with that kind of approach, actually. It would be quite interesting. So there are sometimes things you can do. You sort of find yourself in an angry mood and think, right, I'm going to spray this anger with loving kindness uh, as much metta as I can muster. May I be well, may I be happy, may I be well, may I be happy. And it's it's interesting. It can, sometimes we we can find that that changes. Uh, There's a, a shift there. But at certain point or certain stages I began to notice that there was a mindset here that wasn't so helpful. This, these are solid things that are in my way that I need to push away and get rid of. That there was something about that whole way of thinking around difficulties which wasn't so useful. And perhaps, in a sense, going to the other extreme, as we might do sometimes, um, was very attracted to the sense of really simply being with whatever was here. So if I felt, I'm again using anger, feeling lots of angry feelings as an example, rather than 
pumping up lots of loving kindness, there's more of a feeling of, okay, let that be. Just let that be. Breathe with it. Notice it as a pattern. Notice the extra struggle that comes from resisting that and simply be aware of the pattern as something that comes and goes. And again, that's a very useful mode. It's a very helpful way of being. And uh, really shifted that, I guess, unconscious aversion that my first method was bringing to it. You know, that first method, there's a lot of aversion there, isn't it? These are things that shouldn't be here, I need to get rid of. So this sense of just letting them be, being with them, breathing with them, really softened that whole feeling of trying to push away more difficult states of mind. But that too, I think, contains a kind of limitation if we take that as a, a sort of ultimate method or, or technique to simply be with these different um, patterns. Um, and sometimes that sense can um, not lead us to look more deeply into what's underneath them, what's sustaining them, and bringing an attitude of, of curiosity and investigation to these patterns what's sustaining them moment to moment can again open up a whole other way of um, practicing which has been very very useful very helpful um, so this is a slightly technical phrase but hopefully it's helpful but now I, I feel there's a kind of dynamic between activity and receptivity in meditation yeah, a dynamic between them I think my initial impulse in meditation was pretty active. I'm sitting here and I'm going to get really busy. You know, I'm going to be with the breath and succeed. How many breaths in a row? Write it in a little chart. Tomorrow I'll do one more. You know. It's like kind of weight training for the mind. Right, ten. And of course sets up a whole mindset of success and failure. Did I do as well as yesterday? Sometimes my practice is then very much on the opposite pole of that, this the receptive practice. And it's very, perhaps, I don't know, very difficult to give this as an, as an instruction. It may not make much sense, but sometimes my sense of practice is I just basically sit here and don't really do anything. <laughs> I just kind of sit down and watch it all come and go and tends to settle. So there's, a, there's a, a mode of practice that really feels like I'm just getting out of the way. I'm getting out of the way. And that sense of getting out of the way, I think, often can really allow the mind to settle. I was talking yesterday, weren't we, about um, how we can um, let the mind be more calm. And sometimes that active way to uh, try harder to be with the breath, be with the breath, be with the breath, can create a certain kind of concentration. But also this sense of just getting out of the way, okay, mind is busy, that's all right, just feeling the breath. It just sometimes things just settle down. And then the concentration that's there can feel more easeful, more easeful. So again, I'm really offering this as a, 
as an exploration for you, really, to explore these poles of activity and receptivity in meditation. The kind of the doing and the non-doing, if you like. So, how can we begin to bring these modes to working with what are traditionally called the hindrances? And I'll describe these uh, five patterns. And some of you, these may be new. Others may have heard them countless times. And so, finding a way to bring this contemplation alive for you right now. Yeah, right now. Again, if you, you, many of you may already know, okay, I know what the five are switch off for 10 minutes and then it'll be on to something else. <laughs> but you know, see if you can bring it alive again and again and again. You know, what does this mean for you now, today? And uh, As I'm talking, you may have a sense of how have these arisen in today's practice. So the first of these is uh, sense desire. Sense desire which is a particular kind of wanting, a particular kind of wanting. As you may know, some of the early translations into English of Buddhist teachings tended to say things like, desire is the cause of suffering. And um, these days, many of us feel that the word craving is so much more helpful than the word desire. You know, desire covers a multitude of different things. So when we think about sense desire in this sense, we might have a sense of sense craving, a particular kind of desire, if you like. Not all desire, but a particular kind that we can be caught in. And the key thing about it is that it is unquenchable. Yeah? It's the kind of thing that keeps us spinning in circles again and again and again. seems to promise some kind of relief. Relief is very temporary and then we're off again in circles. So how might that come up today on a retreat? Meal times are an obvious one. You know, 11 o'clock, thinking, ah, hour and a half to go. Yeah. Maybe things outside of a retreat. Maybe uh, somebody in particular you'd really love to see. Maybe there have been moments today when this room is simply full of the absence of somebody. Yeah, so a very strong sense of, well, I'd like to be with that person. Yeah could well be a, a strong desire to be in another place. So, I mean, this could come up in many, many different ways. If you've been to other retreat centers or other monasteries or practice centers and maybe um, coming to Gaia House for the first time or a couple of times, it's, it's very likely or impossible that, that you may have thoughts around, ah, that place I went to in Thailand. I wish I was there. Why don't I come to Devon? You know. <laughs> It's such a strong pattern for many of us and 
again, perhaps even on the first day it can come up, the desire for the end of the retreat is a kind of sense desire. Uh, sometimes we might give instructions, notice yourself looking forward to the end of the retreat and come here. And that's kind of true. But I th also think be really interested over the next few days when that arises. My guess is, and please, you know, you can tell me a note if this is wrong, but this is likely to come up to some degree or another for us all. Because it's a very, very strong pattern to project our sense of happiness or well-being into a future event. The end of the retreat is completely empty. I love to reflect on this again and again and again. There's no solidity to end of a retreat. You really want to be in a taxi. Is that that great? You've probably done that a few times in your life. You want to stand at Newton Abbott Station? Is that where joy lies? You know. <laughs> it's great to name it and we can see through it, but sometimes, ah, oh, three days to go, four days to go. You know. The end of the retreat brings more moments of pleasure, pain, <laughs> thoughts coming and going, feelings coming and going, you know. There's not really a sharp boundary between retreat and non-retreat. But this is what the sense desire does. You see, it, it, it's not only a, an emotional sense of I want, I want, I want. It's a, I could say, a cognitive, has a cognitive aspect. In other words, it's to do with how we are understanding, seeing things. That the sense is it's something very solid. Notice that, end of a retreat, great. And when we look into it, it's fluid. You notice that, that this craving tends to do that. It tends to solidify the object of craving as having some intrinsic quality to satisfy. So that's one pattern that certainly arises for us. The second may be um, aversion, which is the opposite of sense desire, a sense of pushing something away. Sense desire will say, if only I had, then everything would be okay. And you can fill in the blank with every, anything and everything. One of my favorite stories in my own life around that if only thing, sense was, was around a yellow coat. I think I like it because a yellow coat sounds like such an unlikely thing to think. <laughs> this is really going to do it for me. I think also the reason I remember that is that there's sometimes when these cravings really, really stand out. I think they're happening all the time, but sometimes it gets really blown up. I can't remember how many hours and days I sp spent dreaming of this yellow coat. I've <laughs> <laughs> thought about it ever since. There's a whole story around it, you know. Maybe I should get the Navy one, play safe. Uh, yellow's pushing the boundaries a bit. You're okay with navy, come on. I want the yellow one. <laughs> anyway, it, it, it was a funny thing. I, I, I won't tell you the whole story today, but it, it, it ended with giving the yellow coat to a charity shop. <laughs> and, you know, those moments of actually feeling a bit self-conscious in this car. Oh, wasn't quite what I thought. And, 
So, and it's nice to have these little stories yourself, you know, when you see the whole circle of how wonderful it's going to be and then, oh. So aversion is, is the opposite quality of that. It's not if only I had a yellow coat, lunch, this person, a new job, whatever it was. It's more if only I did not have, if only I could get rid of. And so notice again how that may have arisen today. So it may have arisen in relation to something that um, I said or, or Zohar said. Um, and uh, well, I can't perhaps speak for Zohar, but I trust this is true. That please don't feel bad about that if that's the case. Because actually what we've been saying, and the two of us at the front, we're some of the most... Um, well, that you're having a lot of input from us in contrast to all sorts of other things. So again, it's almost inevitable. You're going to have thoughts of, oh, I liked how she said that, or I liked how he said that, wasn't so sure about that other bit. Because there's not much else happening <laughs> for you. So there's a lot of the mind to make out of that, you know. So it might be that, oh, I didn't like how they said that, or it could be a, some aversion might arise. It might be to do with um, your colleagues on the retreat, fellow retreatants. It's interesting, again, how we can, can be a fairly small thing, or seemingly small thing, and I might get a sense, well, I'm not sure about that person or this person. Maybe they remind us of someone. It could be, I mean, there's no need to trace back the history of it, but just to know, actually, it's really normal. This is what is our mind is doing all the time. A sense, well, I like that, not so sure about that. A huge one on retreat, of course, is aversion to difficult sensations in the body. You know, once these pains in my knee have subsided, then I'll be able to get on with the retreat. Or aversion to thoughts. I'm, I'm really struck in my own experience, and I'm continually looking for people to talk to, <laughs> talk to about this. Um, how strongly, when something's triggered something in me, how strongly those patterns can be around. And, uh, you know, this may or may not be the same for you. This is always the, the risk of talking from your own experience. But certainly, uh, certainly days wouldn't be unusual. You know, something happens. There can be echoes of that around in the mind for quite some time. So if you're arriving here and you had a difficult communication two or three days ago, you know, last week or whatever, and you find it's replaying itself here, it's around for you, it's alive for you, um, notice then if almost the, the aversion to the thoughts can kick in quite quickly. There might be the thought, I really, I shouldn't be like this. I've been doing this so many months, years, whatever, decades. I should let go. <laughs> I was talking about let go. Come on, let go. Let go. <sighs> Not very good at letting go, are you? <laughs> you know. So it feels to me, and again, over the years of practice, this is why I emphasize patience so much. I'm struck again and again and again by our sensitivity 
our sensitivity, you know, difficult communication with sensitive beings and it's around for us. So then the practice may be more to notice those thoughts, the sense of what's around in the body, to give it some space, to give it some space. And maybe the key aversion to really look for is the aversion to the whole pattern and I need to get rid of these thoughts. I don't want to be feeling this, I'm on retreat now. So softening the aversion can really allow us to let more difficult experience move through, move through. At other times, uh, we may feel restless. Have you noticed that sense on, on retreat, that sense today? A buzzy, restless energy. And at other times, more sleepy, more drowsy. So I can talk about these two together, because in many ways they're a pair of opposites. They're around the kind of um, energy that's around on retreat. Um, my sense, and I feel this very strongly actually, that on the first day of a retreat in particular, if you feel sleepy and drowsy, it's very, very likely to be just that sense of arriving, coming out of busyness, coming out of all the things you need to do, the sense of the traveling, coming to a new place. And my sense of it is once a certain buzziness subsides, there can be a kind of low energy. Um, and for me, it's felt very helpful to really give myself space to rest in those times. So there may be other times, and perhaps we could say you know, very roughly, you know, sort of second, third, fourth day of a retreat, if, the, si if the, the sleepiness is still around, you may wish to do things like, you know, open the eyes, lift the arms, a more active sense of um, working with the sleepiness. But I think at first so many of us, it just, oh, it's just a kind of background fatigue that can begin to show up and really giving ourselves space to, to rest is very nourishing, very healing. I used to, I used to work in a college, I used to work teaching in a college and you see the teachers on the last day of term, <laughs> that sort of feeling of you know, keeping going and going and going. Notice also what happens in relation to these patterns. If you have felt sleepy today, also being aware there are times where that becomes a self-judgment. Ah, oh, sleepy. Come on. You know. This is why we so often talk about these patterns, just to you know to normalise them again and again. It's something that arises, can come and go. At the times, as I mentioned, the energy can feel more restless, more busy, more buzzy. And one thing that can be helpful with this and so many of these hindrances is to do the opposite of what it's telling you. So restlessness will, it has a little story connected to it, which is to saying, I need to keep moving. I need to keep moving to feel okay. My arms are like that. Okay, let's put them like that. That'll be better. No, they were better like that. 
Now what else could it be? Oh, I remember the Zen one with the thumbs touching. That's going to sort me out. Oh no. Oh, maybe the legs. So the, the <laughs> it can be a kind of buzzy uh, sense of, well, restless. So it's really helpful in the midst of that, saying, oh, can I be still? Can I be still? It's a nice thought around all these hindrances that they each weave a story. Yeah? So the story of sense desire is I need such and such a thing. And if we really believe that, we'll be off. You know, we're sitting there doing meditation. And I need a cup of coffee. If we really believe that, because in a sense there's a story here that I'm not okay now, but I will be okay once I've got a cup of coffee. And that is an absolute truth. There's no way I can possibly be okay now because there's no coffee. Right? So if you really bought into that, you would get up and go and make yourself coffee. Yeah? But when you can see that, ah, oh, this is a pattern, and it's a pattern I can begin to see through, that's not actually true. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a movement for that, but it's, not, it's not, not true. So the same with restlessness. It's saying, I need to keep moving. It's not okay. To, but what's happening there is there'll be some kind of discomfort underneath that. If we can be with that, notice that we can begin to settle and be more still. And uh, the final one of these is, uh, is called doubt. And one way to think about this, and again, this is not talking about all kinds of questioning, I mean, deep questioning is tremendously significant, helpful, and healthy in our life in general, to really question. To investigate, to be curious about our experience is deeply freeing. Um, but doubt in this context is that sort of little voice that um, can sometimes hold us back from really being here. And you may have had a, a thought process, for instance, about where was the best place for you to go on retreat or what was the best thing for you to do and it's really helpful to think I've done that now <laughs> and I've chosen to be here yeah so for instance if that arose in the mind that the doubt would be ah maybe this isn't quite right for me a yoga retreat would have been better or actually I could have done this or maybe I should do that and there can be a, a continual sort of rethinking and rehashing things that can be around and it's really helpful as an antidote to that to say I'm really going to give myself to this now. It doesn't have to be, you know, lifelong commitments pretty frightening, right? But you can give yourself to this meditation or even, even this moment. In this practice, I'm not going to analyze the pros and cons of different things I might have done. I'm going to give myself to this. I love this sense of wholeheartedly giving ourselves. I mean, this is a, the real antidote to that. What's it like to wholeheartedly give yourself to what you're doing? I hope it doesn't sound uh, too what was the word, prosaic an example, but I like to think about this even, even doing really what we might think as really everyday things. So if I'm, if I'm watching football, 
Are you watching football? Really watch the football. You know, <laughs> you're there, and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to feel this, and you know, the corners and the goals, and the you know, really be involved. It's a wonderful thing, you know, to really give yourself something. I'm just using that as an example because actually, it seems to me it's true of pretty much everything. You're going for a walk. Really give yourself to going for a walk. As I said here, when you, you have a cup of tea, sometimes having a cup of tea at Guy House can feel naughty. Particularly if you're one of these people that does it a little bit in the walking period. Oh, I hope nobody sees me, I'm having a cup of tea. You might not have had that thought, and apologies if I've, I've now <laughs> brought it in here. You know, you make our own decisions. But, but the, the feeling then, you know, really have the cup of tea. A lovely question, what, what it is to wholeheartedly give. Sometimes, uh, again, I notice in my early meditation practice, I was practicing with a, a wish to gain. It was like a bargain. Okay, so they've told me it's good to be with my breath. I'll do that for a bit. Yeah, being with the breath. Being there. Now, where's this good feeling I want? You know, it's like a bargain. Okay, I'll do what you said. I'll be with the breath. Yeah come back from these juicy thoughts. Now give me something. Give me a nice experience. Fascinating shift to see meditation practice as a kind of gift. Yeah? Give yourself to the breathing. Give the attention to the feet on the ground. And see what that feels like. Yeah? So doubt again can keep us in this circular sense. And again it tells us a story. One of the things around doubt and indecision is that there's a sort of belief system underneath it which is that a particular set of circumstances are the ones that are really going to deliver for us. Maybe I can unpack that a little bit. If you're having a, a sense of doubt around doing a couple of things, I could do A or I could do B, one of the things that drives that is the sense that A is going to be, or one of them is going to be absolutely amazing and completely fulfilling and tremendous. And the other one might be a real disaster. So there can be a sort of black and white thinking happening there. You know, that, that these, these choices are divided in that. And that perspective makes us very anxious. So imagine if you have that thought now about being on retreat. You had a choice. You could have gone to Spain on holiday. Keep putting all these thoughts in your mind that may turn out to be unhelpful tomorrow. <laughs> Apologies. You could have gone on Spain on holiday. You could have gone on a yoga retreat. You could have gone on a walking holiday. God, I've really done it now, isn't it? That was the exodus tomorrow. There's all kinds of things we could have done. And in a doubting state of mind, it's almost like yeah, I had these five choices and one of them was going to deliver. And oh, I've chosen the wrong one. You know. But actually life is not like that, of course, is it? That any of these circumstances, any of these conditions are conditions where we can, we can learn, we can be present. Beautiful joy on a Spanish holiday. Beautiful joy on a walking holiday. Moments of joy, beautiful joy here at Gaia House. And perhaps moments of struggle with all of those circumstances too. Yeah? 
So it's a shift of perspective that can really undermine that, soften that sense of doubt. So to finish today, I want to mention a, a teaching that has developed a life of its own in this tradition. I think it was developed originally by uh, Michelle MacDonald, one of the American teachers. And so many people have taken it on, and I think everyone has it, their own particular take on it. But it's a, a teaching on, on rain, which is a way of working with hindrances. And uh, so again, if you're familiar with this teaching, using it as an opportunity to really reflect on what for you feel helpful responses to these patterns. Um, RAIN uh, stands for recognize, allow, investigate, not self. Yeah, the acronym, recognize, allow, investigate, not self. Recognition is in itself tremendously freeing, tremendously freeing. That moment of being completely caught in sense desire and then the moment of, ah, this is sense desire. There's a real freedom in that shift. The moment of being really caught in aversion and the moment of knowing, ah, this is aversion. It's liberating. When we're caught in aversion, when we're really in the aversion, actually we don't know that. You know, I'm not thinking I'm in an aversive state of mind. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, it's difficult, I don't want to look at anyone in particular. I'll look at them, I'm thinking you're the problem. That makes sense. When aversion is really strong, we're not, we're not thinking, it's like, no, 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 they've done this, they've done that, that shouldn't have happened, this is wrong. That's totally unacceptable. I've told them again and again and again. How many times do I need to tell them? And for me, that's always the story when I have a strong aversive state of mind around, you know. It's, it's, the sense of being right is so strong, isn't it? I'm right with a capital R and a clenched fist. Even as I say that, I'm doing it, it's quite <laughs> interesting. Right. So when we're really in that, the problem is all outside us. The problem is all these other people who don't understand. So a very liberating shift. Okay, so there's some aversion here. And then we can begin to really allow that. That's the second place in the rain, to allow that. This is what's so uh, helpful for me about shifting from my first idea. Do you remember my sense if we see them as hindrances, as very solid things I need to get rid of? That view simply means I've got to get, add aversion to aversion. I come aversive, oh no, that's an unwholesome state. They say in Buddhism, need to get rid of it, come on, go away. May I be well, still, you know, all that. come on, come back to the breath, it's not working. 
But allow is very different. Allow is, ah, oh, okay, so this, this is what it's like now. These are the thoughts. Noticing the thoughts. Circular, repetitive thoughts around being right. Noticing the feelings in the body, the tensions in the body around that. Giving it some space. A lovely phrase is to breathe in the middle of it, yeah? in the midst of this, in the midst of this, sensing the breath, breathing with the patterns. So it's not as if I'm trying to get rid of the aversive thoughts in order to feel the breath, but in the middle of this sense, ah, there's the breath. We spoke this morning about the anchor, didn't we? So the breath is the anchor and in the midst of what sometimes may feel like a storm. Breathing with it, allow. And from there we can begin to be curious about it. So this is where we're not necessarily just staying with the sense of just being with it. But we can also then begin to be curious, to, um, to investigate, we might say. Yeah, to be... So, okay, well, what's happening here? What's around? What kind of thoughts are these? What kind of thoughts are these? When we practice mindfulness of, of thoughts, I think it's fascinating for me to see that thoughts have such different qualities. And in certain states of mind, I'm using aversion as an example here, um, that the thoughts just have such a different quality to thoughts at another time. And... Uh, I find uh, some, of the, some of you may be familiar with the um, CBT, the Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, but there are some very helpful, well, I personally find very helpful descriptions of um, less helpful ways of thinking. And uh, when you pay attention to it, I think you can see again and again and again that this is what our minds do when we're really triggered by something, you know, we're perhaps in this sense I'm using a sense of strong feelings of, of anger around. Stress. The thoughts just go more black and white. They go more all or nothing. You notice it and it's so helpful. It's one thing to know this in, in theory. It's so helpful to be able to see it in your own mind as it's happening. <laughs> and the more you do it, the more you get a sense of, ah, oh, okay, that's the, the stressed mind, that's the aversive mind. And you can see it in your speech too. Now, when you're feeling like this, notice you know, having a heated discussion with someone. Notice the kind of thought. So one I particularly like is a thought, or a, when we voice it, a thought like, you never help me out. You never help me out. You're always doing that. You know, become quite absolute, don't they? We can notice that. It makes me smile to think, because actually the truth is, thoughts like never and always are, are almost always wrong. Yeah? I have to say almost always to protect myself. But they're almost always false. It's very difficult for something to always be the case. You know, he said to someone, you never help me out. Well, hang on a minute. I remember in 1989, <laughs> you wanted to borrow 50 pence for the bus, and I lent it to you. And I was relaxed that it took you two days to pay it back. I did help you out. You know. 
But we're not thinking like that, are we? So, you know, you could imagine having an argument. It would be a rather amusing argument to say in the middle of a heated discussion. I acknowledge that on many occasions in the past you have helped me out in a number of different ways. But on this occasion I'm feeling mildly frustrated that you haven't helped me. <laughs> you know. But nobody thinks like that. Really. It's like, wow. You know. So you can notice the quality of thoughts and noticing how they're reflecting particular states of mind. And the more you do it, and it is funny, and the more you reflect on this, it's like, ah, oh, the, the, the sense of believing, the sense of believing the stories over time really softens. It's like, ah, oh, okay, there's that story again about how no one ever helps me out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if I may continue just very briefly to borrow from uh, the, the CBT, which I, anyway, I have a personal interest in. So, uh, One other thing that, that they do, and it took me a while to really learn, th learn this, it's useful, is that people then also notice, um, if, you, if you do have those, so you're noticing those kind of thoughts, and thinking what would be a more realistic alternative, one of the methods used is actually also to look for evidence that supports those thoughts. Now this to me, and in my own practice, is tremendously useful. So I'm using this, this as an example, you never help me out. If someone says that to you, you probably know this already, but I'm giving you a bit of advice. It's not terribly helpful to point out to them that you did lend them 50p in 1989. <laughs> that usually makes the person <laughs> respond in another way. Because what, what's underneath it, and this is what we're exploring here, you can explore it interpersonally, we can also explore it here in our own experience. Underneath those kind of thoughts, is something that needs to be heard, something that needs to be listened to, something that needs to be met. It's almost always, to avoid generalization, you know, some kind of hurt, vulnerability, some kind of need that's there. So this can be part of our investigation if we notice there's a, a lot of looping around. It's like what underneath here needs to be met? There's a bit of a cul-de-sac that I've got lost in a few times in my life where you end up dismissing your thoughts. Oh, I'm overreacting again. Or, oh, there's this looping thought again. I've been on the retreat a while. Why can't I let it go? Oh, why do I let things get to me so much? And we're trying to, it's almost like pushing away, you know, pushing away these more difficult states of mind that can arise. So helpful as part of our investigation. What needs to be met? what needs to be held, um, held, what needs to be connected with. Yeah. And so the final uh, N, again, as I mentioned, this has a life of its own now. Um, uh, one of the words people sometimes using is, is to nourish or to nurture. And that's an interesting one, sense again, what underneath these patterns, what needs to be held? 
the more traditional meaning of the, the N of rain is not self. Which would be several talks. <laughs> but just very, very briefly to touch on that. These hindrances, if you like, these patterns are never who we really are. Sometimes we can tell a story out of them about being a particular kind of person. I'm an angry person. I'm a person who's full of craving. I'm a restless person. And notice when that happens. It's deeply freeing to see them more and more as patterns, as changing patterns of thoughts, feelings, sensations, something that is composed of parts rather than some sense of who I am. I mentioned my cheese sandwich story earlier on, didn't I? It's a great example of that, yeah? So in my, my feeling of I'm a person who needs to sort out his life and develop a big plan and da da da, it feels quite solid. After the sleep and the cheese sandwich, I'm someone quite different. <laughs> quite a different sense of self is arising. So again, it's something to, to really explore how the feeling of telling a story about who we really are out of changing patterns can solidify them. And also to see more and more their insubstantiality. Their insubstantiality. So these hindrances are, they're not like solid boulders and obstacles, big, beats of, big pieces of stone. When we look into them, we can see that they're buzzing, fluid, shifting, changing. Patterns, patterns. And sometimes with thoughts, we go, I'm plagued by these thoughts. Thoughts are so insubstantial, so ephemeral. Again, that can be a shift in perspective when we begin our practice, breathing in, breathing out, ah, oh, these thoughts are bothering me. How can I get rid of the thoughts and be with the breath? But as we deepen more and more into the practice, thoughts are simply like these little fireworks, buzzing, coming, going, coming, going, coming, going. And so there's a shift in working with the hindrances from feeling like there's loads of stuff I need to get rid of and move beyond. More and more to patterns that we can see through. Patterns that we can see through. So, Let's uh, sit quietly just for uh, a couple of minutes. Just uh, let the words of the talk settle. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.